Hello and welcome to Fidelity Next, a podcast by Fidelity Investments Canada for post-secondary students, where we'll provide you with the tools you need to navigate your impending careers successfully in today's landscape. As you may have heard in a prior episode, we have a long history of meeting students directly on campus, which we haven't been able to do lately due to the pandemic. But we hope that these Fidelity Next podcasts and live interactive webcasts will bridge that gap and provide you with the information we share during typical sessions on campus. Today's episode features Joe Overdevest, Portfolio Manager and Fidelity Canada's Director of Research, who also in normal times travels to campuses to talk about his work experience, prior experiences originally as a co-op student, and career opportunities here at Fidelity. We're calling this one Backpack to Briefcase, How to Build a Future at Fidelity. To get us started is host Emily Ananuevo, but first, the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Next. I'm Emily Annenwovo. Now more than ever, young people are looking for a job in hopes to building a long-lasting career, especially during these uncertain times. And building a successful career is truly a synergy of your hard and soft skills combined with your knowledge and expertise. On this episode of Fidelity Next, we'll provide you insights on what a career looks like at our company, give you information on the hiring process at Fidelity, and share advice on building a successful career. Joe, I'd like to begin with you. Can you briefly explain what your role entails as portfolio manager and director of research? Because I know you get this question often, what does a portfolio manager do exactly? Thanks, Emily. Since you were investors, and so what does that mean? It means that Fidelity is very lucky to receive monies, people's investments, people's RSPs, uh, people's pensions, people's just hard-earned money. And when they take that money, it goes to the investment team. The investment team is the analyst who will cover a certain sector and the portfolio manager will make the final decision on a certain portfolio or investment of companies and say maybe it might be 40 or 50 companies. And so what did we do on the average day? So along with the analysts, We'll do a few things. Number one, we'll meet with a lot of company CEOs. I mean, probably the CEO of Royal Bank, Peloton, Aritzia. But once we meet with these companies, what do we do? Well, maybe we meet with Aritzia and we decide, is the, is the company doing well? Who are they competing with? Let's talk to their competitors. Let's talk to Lululemon's executive team. Let's go experience the product. Are the product and services they are producing um, in demand? Do we think it can mark, grow in market size? So you're starting to get some soft skills involved with interviewing management teams, understanding the marketplace, orders by forces, some of the things we learned in school. And then we start getting into the quantitative skills, the harder skills of saying, okay, here's the market. Let's put this into an Excel model. How much earnings could they have in the next, say, five years? What valuation should we put on it? And ultimately, should we buy the stock or not for our investors? Essentially, there's three big questions we ask for every, any kind of investment. Number one, is this a good company? Number two, is the management team well aligned with us? And number three, is valuation attractive? So 
It's a very intellectually stimulating day of meeting with executive teams, running Excel models, and reading a, a great deal of research. Perfect overview there. And Joe, you've been in the financial industry close to 20 years. So, I mean, what sort of keeps you going and motivated? Um, I know, you know, working from home now looks totally different, but I mean, you still love and are passionate about what you do, I know. Yeah, I, I'm very uh, humbled to, uh, to be working at Fidelia. We think it's a, I think it's a great experience. Um, it has a great culture, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more later. But the yeah. industry itself, number one, this is very intellectually stimulating. If it comes to politics, the economy, um, new products, new services, what is Amazon doing, what's Shopify doing, different thing, anything that's essentially in your world, it will probably be affecting some of your investments at some point in time, good or bad. And so you have to make a decision, you have to analyze them. And so if you like the intellectual stimulation of that and the constant challenge that mentally, it, it's, it's always something exciting, it's always something new. And if you like that, you, you come to work every day with a smile on your face. Great, excellent points. Now, Joe, many people may not know this about you, but you actually started out as a co-op student in the financial industry. Just curious, what was that experience like for you and uh, what did you learn from it? I was very thankful. Wilfrid Laurie University has a, a great co-op program and I was, um, again, very thankful to be part of it. And so uh, with, for me, it was, it was an amazing experience because I think we'll, we'll get into this as well. It's like, you know, I came from the family farm. We came from a, a very small farming town. I didn't have any business experience. I had knew nothing about stocks. Um, I essentially went to Wilfrid Laurier to learn about being an entrepreneur or maybe run the family farm. And also the co-op program was great. You got to see all these different businesses. I, I signed up for lots of different jobs. And then uh, the first one was Gluskin Chef, which is an investment management firm. And I was like, probably the fourth day on the job, I can remember thinking, this is a pretty interesting industry. If you love business and you like being intellectually stimulated, there's so many business models you learn from and there's so many different business aspects you learn. I'll, I'll probably start, if I can, I'll start my career like this. Then I did my second term at Scotia Capital in the mergers and acquisition and corporate finance department, essentially investment banking, because I wanted to try that field out. And I think that's very important in co-op that not only you learn, increase your skill set, number one, but number two, you take the opportunity to find what industries you like best. And I liked investment banking, but I loved investment management. So my third co-op term, I went back to investment management at Nightbane, Seath and Holbrook, a pension manager, much like Fidelity, uh, but now is um, uh, no longer uh, independent, it's part of CI Investments. And from there, those three opportunities gave me the experience, was a big help in finding a, where I wanted to be my, in my career, but also give me my first opportunity with Fidelity Investments. Yeah, great, great overview there and such an expansive background because I know a lot of people, you know, listening on the line today are probably was in the same position as you as a co-op student trying to build their portfolio there. So glad you mentioned that. Now, Komal, I want to turn to you. Joe just touched upon some uh, job opportunities in asset management and talked about investing. But what other job opportunities and roles are here at Fidelity specifically? Yeah, so um, as Joe mentioned, we have Fidelity Canada Asset Management, and uh, Fidelity Canada is divided into three lines of businesses. So the other lines of businesses that we recruit for are Fidelity Clearing Canada, which is our back office support and the leading technology provider for our financial advisors. And then, of course, we have Fidelity Investments Canada, which is made up of our investors and our institutional businesses. So 
We hire about 40 students per term across these divisions, and the role could go anywhere from it could be in finance to marketing to computer science to digital media. So a lot of opportunities for students, and we do target students from various programs. And uh, we post our jobs at universities all across Canada because our head office is located in Toronto, but we also hire students for our regional offices, which is which are located in Calgary, Vancouver, and Montreal. Okay, perfect summary there about our three lines of businesses. Now, Komal, you remember in our last show, we received a ton of interest on how students can apply for jobs at Fidelity. So take us through the whole process. How do students find opportunities and what's the hiring process like? Sure. So we work with school career centers um, and we post all of our opportunities on the university's school job board. So students can check out all of our opportunities and apply directly through there. And then the selected students are then sent a video interview link where they're able to answer some basic questions, such as um, why they're interested in working at Fidelity, uh, what are some of their proudest accomplishments. And then the successful candidates are then contacted to a Zoom interview with myself and the hiring manager. So our next recruitment cycle is actually starting in January. So we're gonna be starting to hire for our summer term. Ooh. So I encourage all students to check out their school job boards come January because that's where all they'll be able to find all of our opportunities. Okay, great tip. Already, already gonna post uh, job opportunities for our, our summer term. So great to know. Uh, Joe, I wanna turn it back to you because you obviously work with a lot of new hires. Curious to know what you look for when hiring people for your team. I think there's three big ones. Number one is is intelligence. But I think I want to be very clear. It's intelligence is two buckets. The first bucket, of course, is what we call um, school smarts, which may be your GPA and, and how intelligent you are. But the other bucket is street smarts. And that usually comes up in the interview. And, you know, there's just certain things that, you know, someone can be very, very smart and understand Excel models, but they don't understand how the, the world works, especially with investing. It can be, it can be not, not so good. So an example would be, if I asked you, you know, why do people not wear watches as much anymore? A street smart person will say it's because everyone has an iPhone. And 10 years ago, there was a lot less iPhone. So intelligence, number one. Number two is work ethic. Uh, all these jobs entail a great, de great deal of work ethic. And how do we find that in the resume? We find that is that, you know, did you have part-time jobs? How much workload did you have while you were at school? Did you take on coaching? Did you take on sports as well? Did you have tougher jobs? Did you work on the family farm? Did you... Uh, wait tables at a restaurant. These are not easy jobs, right? And also you can get in the interview and we do background checks on people too. How, what was their work ethic in school? We talked to the professors and other students. What was their work ethic in jobs? And lastly is we like nice people. We're a very close-knit uh, group and we don't want people, they're not nice to other people. And, it, and niceness is, I know it's been a key term lately, it's been a cool thing, but it's like, it's been like that for Fidelity for a long period of time. Because if we find people that are not nice to others, it's just a bad work environment. So number one, intelligence. Number two, work ethic. And number three, just to be nice, please. Great summary there on intelligence, work ethic, and just being a good person, right? Um, Joe, we have some questions coming in. This one for you. How do you deal with and manage information? There are so many fac fac factors that affect the business world. So how do you decide what to focus on? Yeah, so I think... The benefit I have is I have an amazing analyst team. Uh, the, the the bedrock we do, the competitive advantage, is the size and quality of our investment team. We have 300 investment professionals around the world. And without those men and women, I wouldn't be the, the investor I am today. And so they do a great job of distilling, okay, a data point comes out. 
that Shopify is, is offering a new product on their website. Is this material or not? They'll quickly write a research note. They'll tell us if it's important or not. And you have a, essentially an army of men and women deciding what's the best data points and sending it directly to us in research notes. But the bigger thing I would say is experience definitely helps. You have to decide what is noise and what is fundamentally a change in the investment thesis. And that's one of the things I like about Fidelity. We ask all of our analysts to write three to five points why we think a buyer a, a stock is a buy or sell. Because there's so much data out there. There's something that someone's tweeting. There's some rumor out there. And you really have to know, okay, if you go write it down, what are the three to five main points? Is this really material to the thesis or is this just noise? And so this that simple question of knowing why you bought the stock and if this changes it or not, I think it's very important so you don't get emotional about every little kind of comment out there. But it definitely comes with experience and it comes with a lot of great resources that luckily Fidelity has. And, and you talked about the, the depth and just the range of research analysts we have here. Joe, can you just touch upon, you know, Fidelity's culture and what makes it unique? I mean, you've been with the company for so many years. You know, what is it about our company that just makes it special? It's a big reason that I came and obviously a big reason I, I stay is, is a culture. And really the culture starts with great people. We have a, we have a, a very highly intelligent group. Uh, I think that's pretty obvious, but when you, I think you made a good point of culture because that, you know, you can have smart people, but it doesn't last long. And I think what it comes down to, like I said, is no jerks. A lot of nice people that want to interact with people and, and teach each other. And I think this is very important is that when we share information at Fidelity, which is unique to our firm, we share it across from Japan to Toronto, and we share it from the most senior person to the youngest person. So if someone writes a research note on uh, Apple, everybody gets a research note, even the co-op yeah. student. And I think that's very important. If Apple executive team is doing a call or video with us, um, everybody gets to join that call. And so I think it's very important for a learning culture, which is a big part of Fidelity. We're a learning culture, we want people learning. But also with that, if you're truly learning, you have to accept people make mistakes. I think that's is very important. We're a culture, we're not gonna be yelling and screaming and saying, oh my goodness, you made a mistake. I will tell you right now, we all make mistakes, especially as an investor. I could be making a mistake today. I could have made a mistake tomorrow that I even know about. We have to learn from your mistakes. And I think that's very important in our culture that we are a learning culture that accepts mistakes, but also we move on from them and we, um, we, we, we take a better uh, teaching from them. Excellent point. Our culture here is all about being supportive and, and learning and learning from your mistakes. Omar, I want to bring it back to you and talk about job postings because I know you field a lot of questions about this. What can students or what should students pay attention to when they come across our job postings? Yeah, so um, I often see students will apply to as many roles as they possibly can, uh, which may seem productive because now you're putting yourself out there for any opportunity that you could find, but it also shows that you're not taking the time to read through the job descriptions mm. as thoroughly as you should. And uh, I think it's important to understand that not every role will be right for you, and, and that's okay. Um, there are some roles out there that have certain uh, elements that are non-negotiable. So, you know, there, you do need some designations or certifications, a specific skill set for those roles. So 
I would definitely take the time to read through the job descriptions and, and see exactly what you're looking for before just clicking through to apply. Um, you know, we usually post various positions at schools and sometimes I'll see the same student apply to every single role that we posted, whether it's, you know, related to the program they're studying or whether they have the skills or not. And I think that it's a bit counterproductive. So I would definitely have a better strategy when applying, uh, to the, to the right job postings for you. No, that's a really valid point about, listen, read the job posting carefully. It's not all yeah. about the, the quantity of jobs you're applying for, right? It's, it's about yeah. if the job is a right fit for you. We have exactly. some more questions rolling in here. Um, Joe, how about this for you? How important is it for a student to have knowledge of financial modeling um, prior to looking for an internship, internship in equity research at Fidelity? It, it's, um, it's not... Uh necessity for sure but it definitely helps and i think we have to understand for the investment side uh just alone we will only hire probably zero one person per year we'll probably get a thousand resumes from across north america just for the toronto posting alone so the competition is quite severe and so there's definitely a lot of people out there that would have some prior experience but it doesn't mean we will not uh, look at that um, I think there's a few things we would look at, though, that would, would make you stand out is, number one, of course, if you have prior experience in investment industry. Number two is if you're part of an investment club or investment team at school. That definitely helps. It shows initiative. It shows you want to learn. And uh, number three is, is strong grades. It definitely helps. Um, I would say then, so what if some you're maybe lacking in the experience? Well, what are some things that could compensate? I would say self-learning. Uh, there's some great students that have come through that when we interviewed them, they were just way above everyone else in terms of reading books on investing, on how to do financial modeling. There's a number of courses now that you can take, kind of one up on Wall Street and different uh, courses where you will learn some of the basics of financial modeling from the, pri from the privacy of your own home. And then uh, as well, just keeping up to date on the market. There's, 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 um, we can probably talk about this later, but we can have, I can send out a list to certain people if they want. Emily will maybe offer that up later where I yeah. have a book list, uh, some YouTube videos or even some podcasts that you, know, you might want to listen to to be more engaged in the market. I think the biggest thing is that, you know, so many tools out there, you have yourself, you know, to, to, to take on that initiative. And if you take on initiative, you can sometimes take a step forward versus someone else who may have the same experience. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And, and going back to your other point about, you know, even if you don't have the financial experience, it's about self-learning, right? Because the conundrum is when you're you're trying to get that first job, you don't have the work experience, right? So how do you compensate for that? But like you said, and I know you're an avid reader, always reading, just keep on reading, keep on educating and learning. Is that right? Exactly. And also too, is like, just like uh, anyone, I think we all think that like everyone starts off with the Fidelity Investments co-op job. I didn't start off with the Fidelity Investments co-op job, right? Um, we were actually, we were in hiring co-ops when I came through, but what happened was you just, you also maybe look for jobs in the investment industry or, or, and, um, you know, part of the investment industry, maybe not directly investing that need less experience. And then that's how you build your resume as well. I think there's lots of kind of connections to investment, investment industry that may not need as much modeling. And then you can kind of build the resume from there. So I know you hit on some um, couple points in in terms of the career search, Joe. But if you could give kind of um, you know a summary of what advice would you give to a person starting their career search? I think number one, don't be frustrated. I think it's very easy to say you know 
someone in my shoes will say, oh, well, you know, the impression would be, I've never been churned down for a job. I am going to tell you, first of all, I've been churned down for many jobs. I've been churned down for many co-op jobs. There's many times where I didn't even get the first round interview. So that's number one. Do not get frustrated, okay? If you get churned down, maybe try to learn from the experience. And then sadly, I'll be very honest, some firms will not give you feedback, right? And that's totally fine. But if you find, okay, they hired this person. Does this person maybe have a different GPA? Does this person have a different degree? Okay, was there something that I was missing that's obvious? Maybe not. But number two is, how do we increase our chances? I think, you know, Kamal made a good example. Don't just, you know, blanket every single job posting. But I know myself personally, I was very humble going into any kind of interview process because I just didn't know what was out there. Because I think it's very dangerous to say, I want Fidelity Investments, I want this role, and I'm only going to apply there. Like, I definitely didn't do that because I guess I was too humble to say, like, I might not get that. Like, some of this is going to be luck, right? And so for me... I was like, I would really like to do investing and I would, I would, I increase my chances. I applied in Boston. I applied in New York. I applied different places in Canada, not just Toronto. Oh. I applied from the buy side, applied to the sell side. Then I also said, what's my backup plan if I can't get an investment job? And so I would then do investment banking. I would do private equity. I would maybe work at a finance role. And then I'd go do my MBA and then I go back to investing because I wanted to think, how can I increase my skill set if I don't get it in the first time right out of school and still have the opportunity to come back for my dream job? And I think that's a, something to understand that like you can increase your chances by location and also even by even offshoots. There's often industries like investment management, private equity or sell side that are similar to investment management or even a sales role like uh, Kamal was luckily you know, mentioning earlier too. We have a Philly, Canada that you love investing, but maybe you don't want to be part of the investment team. So just trying to think too that, you know, it's expanding your search might increase your chances because there is some luck involved in here and uh, we want to make sure on the right side of it. Okay, perfect. Another question coming in for Joe here. Um, being a PM, how do you think about your investment decisions if the market direction initially goes against your fundamental investment thesis? I think that's the most challenging thing about investing is that, uh, you know, I, well, I use the analogy on the family farm. If I did a certain amount of output in terms of, you know, digging trees up, I knew exactly what my output would be. If my input was X, my output would be Y. Investing is is difficult. And this is one of the probably the, the toughest things, I'll be honest, if the negatives of the job is that we're, we all want to do well. And many, and this is the toughest thing I usually tell young people is they often come into Fidelity and they have these amazing GPAs and very successful at school and they get to investing land. And just like you said, they have a strong thesis, but they've done all this fundamental analysis and something politically changes, something totally left field. Um, the CEO quits and it, it's, you can't forecast everything and you have to embrace your own ignorance, your, your own lack of control of the world, essentially. And you have to just stick to your process. And I think that's the most important thing that you have to understand this business, you will not be 100% right. And this is a very unique industry. And, and often school, people are used to being 100% right or very close to it. You have to understand there's so many factors that actually a successful investor is probably right 60 or 70% of the time. The top investors, if they're doing 60 or 70%, are doing amazing, which is in, in this industry, it's weird. It's almost like baseball, where if you're right three out of 10 times, you're a very good hitter. It's very similar to that. And so I think you stick to your process. And you've done some very good work, you can, you know, bear with it. 
and you know over time you're not going to be 100 percent right so maybe not that stock but other stocks will benefit and in the end you'll be okay oh well if i can go back to you sort of branching off of what Joe was talking about being open-minded when it comes to your career search. What advice can you leave with students, uh, give to students about finding the right career and company to work for? I would say that, you know, and we, we spoke about it before, I would say that the culture of the company is imperative. You know, um, there's definitely a lot of pressure that students feel to secure that internship, that sometimes they can lose sight of what exactly they're looking for. And, you know, studies show that students more than anything want to work in a healthy workplace with good people. So you want to ask yourself, what are the company's values? You know, check out what they're doing for the community. How are they giving back to their employees? And ask yourself, you know, does the does this career choice align with your long-term career goals? Um, is there opportunity for growth? And these are the type of questions that will eventually help you avoid ending up in a company where the culture may not be what you were hoping for. And um, ultimately, if you're in the right place, no matter what the role is, sometimes it really is about the culture and how you can excel. And I think surrounding yourself with the right people and, you know, we spoke about being nice to each other and having that kind culture. I think that's an opportunity where anyone can really succeed and grow. No, you're absolutely right about that, because it's not only about trying to search for that perfect job title. You have to know if the company is the right fit for you. Uh, Joe, I know you mentioned, you know, the um, self-learning and expanding your knowledge. But can you point out some specific books or resources that you turn to, you know, um, for your job that you can share with uh, everybody on the line today? Mm hmm. I'll give you three. I'll give you the boring one first that is almost a test if you want to do this industry or not. Is is for me as a young person at Laurier, it, you know, uh, I read Valuation was from McKenzie Consulting. It's a very thick book and it's the very basics of how you invest and how you value a company and what is EV to EBITDA, what is a discount cash flow analysis, all these boring terms that you may hear. What does it actually mean and how do you do it? So if, you, if you're like me, you read the book, you're like, awesome. This is like telling me how to do this job. And if you're bored by it, that's a good test that maybe this isn't the industry for you. Uh, number two, though, even if you're kind of involved in the industry, maybe you don't want to dive that deep into it, would be Peter Lynch's One Up on Wall Street. I think it's a great book. Again, even if you wanted to get into sales or into finance, but you want to be something connected to the stock market, it's a great book. It's very classic in terms of, you know, what do we look for investing at Philly? It's Peter Lynch was an amazing portfolio manager and very few PMs or portfolio managers actually write books. And so this is his insights and how he looked at stocks and he had amazing track record. And the third book, even if you don't even want to do anything about investing, I think it's a very good book for young people, old people, is TED Talks. It actually teaches you how do people go on TED Talks and how do they make a very good impression? So essentially teaches you how to do public speaking. And it's uh, not a long book, but it's very efficient and I think it's very effective for anyone, especially being interviews or being on a big stage. Um, how you present yourself can only uh, make your chances of success increase. Oh, excellent. Excellent resources there. Sounds like an interesting book. Uh, we're almost up for time here. There's so many questions, so much participation. I want to thank you all for participating. Ed, but I wanted to make a special shout out to Omar, who is watching right now. Thank you, Omar, for tuning in to Fidelity Next. Now, before we go, Joe and Komal, just wanted to switch gears and uh, ask you what you're doing for the holidays. Um, I know the holiday break is looking a little different this year, especially, but anything special planned? How about you, Joe? 
Uh, Emily, we're building an ice rink for the kids. So uh, I will be full disclosure, I will be using it as well. But yes, we'll be very excited for it. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Komal, how about you? What do you have planned? I'm not building an ice rink. <laughs> <laughs> just some time with family. Um, my sister just had a baby, so nephew's first uh, Christmas. So really excited about that. That's awesome. Well, I hope you enjoy Komal, Joe. I want to thank you so much for joining me today and sharing such great insights and valuable information on what a career looks like at Fidelity. Super helpful. Thank you so much. Thanks, Emily. Thank you, Emily. And be sure to follow us on social at Fidelity Canada to help spread the word about Fidelity Next and all the great resources Fidelity provides for students. Now we are planning to provide more student-focused content in 2021. We'll cover topics from resume building, mentoring, and how to ace those job interviews. So watch out for upcoming dates. Have a great day. I'm Emily and in Wavo. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Next podcast brought to you by Fidelity Investments Canada. You can visit fidelity.ca for details on future live webcasts, follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter, and subscribe to our podcasts on your podcast platform of choice.